Welcome to the Tax Alpha Solutions Podcast, hosted by Matt Chancy. Matt is a tax consultant, author, and certified financial planner with almost two decades helping his clients grow their net worth. On the show, Matt brings together an array of specialists to share with you their experience and success along with strategies of the 1%. Matt Chancy is with Coastal One, member FINRA SIPC. And now, here's your host, Matt Chancy. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to the podcast today is for Tax Alpha Solutions. Today's guest is Victor Bodie. Victor Bodie's experience covers acquisitions and divestitures, um, prospect development and private placements. Prior to co-founding Transitus Capital, he served as vice president of the investment banking group at Esposito Securities, covering oil and gas manufacturing financial institutions. Additionally, Mr. Bodie served as vice president of Estrella Capital and land manager of Gadecki Energy. Mr. Bellotti earned his MBA in energy finance from the SMU Cox School of Business and has a BS in business management from the University of Texas at Dallas and holds series licenses 63 and 79. Thanks so much for joining us today. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, great resume. Sounds like you've you've done a lot of things in the industry. So Let's start with, you know, how did you end up where you're at today? And what are you, what are the reasons that you're, um, that you're with Transitus Capital? What led you here? Yeah, we uh, started my career in uh, the upstream oil and gas space, uh, working with Gattaca. It was a, a family-run business. Uh, we were doing direct investments in the oil and gas space. I jumped the, uh, the kind of the fence, so to speak, uh, when... I realized that the part that I really liked about that business was the transactional side of it. And so um, instead of just making investments and managing those investments, what I ended up uh, doing is concentrating more on the transactions. And so that led me to the the investment banking side of things. And uh, when we were at Esposito Securities, um, my my partner and I uh, that founded Transitus, we were at Esposito. Uh, we realized that we were concentrating on kind of larger transactions. We felt that the lower middle market was effectively neglected by the investment banking uh, community. And so we set out to provide M&A advisory services to the lower middle market. And so we launched this practice in 2015 and uh, it's been a lot of fun. And as, as a business owner myself, really can understand the shoes of, of my clients, understand uh, what, what's going on there and the mindset. And, uh, we, we've had a lot of fun and it's uh, been challenging to, to grow our business, but it's uh, been rewarding. Nice, nice. You made a statement there and I find it to be a consistent theme of, uh, amongst people that I speak with about the lower middle market being neglected. It feels like there's been kind of a migration of talent and strategy downstream, right? You know, back in the day, it was all concentrated at the top, but people are going, hey, there's some much smaller businesses that, albeit not small, it's a relative term, but much smaller than maybe some of the, the billion dollar firms at the top saying, hey, these people with, you know, 10, $50 million businesses or whatever could really benefit from this level of talent, this level of expertise. And so I, that, I think that's a consistent theme with talent moving down market a little bit to serve, to serve those clients. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, when we were at Esposito, we were going to the to market with these companies and a lot of the private equity groups at the time 
wouldn't get out of bed for a transaction that was less than $50 million, wouldn't even look at it. And yet there were incredibly talented management teams, really great companies uh, with really good customer bases and uh, that were just passed over. And, and since that, you've seen private equity go down market. So the, there's been a, a lot of appetite at the lower middle market. And at that, you know, and when we launched our practice in 2015, uh, we weren't the only people serving the lower middle market, but there weren't that many. Um, since then, we've seen uh, more competition in our direct field. And, and, but more importantly, we've seen, a, a, as I said, we've seen capital going downstream and, and chasing really good operating companies and good management teams. I think it's somewhat cultural, too, that, that people realize that they have a better work-life balance, uh, that it's more rewarding in lower middle market, that you're not part of uh, kind of a giant corporation. You're not just kind of a, a cog in there. So it's, uh, it's kind of a rewarding experience for, for business owners and such in the lower middle market. Um, kind of a little bit scrappier, and, uh, but as I said, I think a lot more rewarding. You can have some influence. You can move the needle. Right. Yeah, your day-to-day is, uh, means something. Yeah. Nice to feel like you're making an impact instead of just showing up and you're a number, right? Exactly. (laughs) I agree with that. I agree with that at all. So, okay. So the past five years, you guys started this, obviously it looks like a lot of people's coming into the space and I would agree. I think I've seen a lot more, you know, um, higher end solutions kind of move down to the middle market over the past five or six years. I, I would say that has been a consistent theme. So when you're working, let's pretend that we were talking to a business owner today Let's that's in that middle market that's maybe an ideal client. Let's give them a little bit of insight of, because I got to imagine the first time that somebody were to think about going through a process like this, it's got to be scary and a little bit unnerving, you know, maybe to sell the, not everybody's a serial entrepreneur looking for an exit. Most people probably have built a business. It's kind of part of their identity. It's who they are. They've grown it for a series of time and they're going, hey, maybe I just can't do this forever, but I want it to live on after me, right? So so how do I make that happen? So if I were a, a business owner, a fly on the wall in that room, what would that guy want to hear to help him understand, you know, how a guy like you on the inside looking out views how you can help them and what the opportunities are? Sure. You know, most of our clients are, are founders or second gen ownership of companies. So as you pointed out, they're not cycling through. So when they go to a transaction, when they're um, seeking an exit, this is typically the first time they've done it. It's, uh, it's a pretty grueling process from our perspective. What we try to do is mitigate that, uh, the heavy lifting there. And so as people kind of look at a transaction and, and are mm-hmm. contemplating an exit, it's not something that happens overnight. Uh, business owners that have really built nice businesses, they, they don't tend to be uh, kind of cavalier with such actions. So advanced planning, I think is, you know, I'd, I'd say probably the most important thing. Uh, so if, if you're contemplating a transaction, uh, start working on it in advance. I mean, anywhere from one year to five years down the road. And so as, as business owners start planning for, uh, you know, plan for a transaction, plan for an exit, I think that ahead of time, there are a couple of things they can do to build value because as a business owner, you have two types of income. You have your operating income, your day-to-day, and then you have 
your liquidity event income, the, the cash flow from a liquidity event. Uh, obviously, different uh, tax consequences, much more beneficial on the on liquidity event typically. And but on an operating basis, so on your your day to day, even though you're planning ahead for that liquidity event, there are things that you do on a daily basis that can build value. And that couple of things that, that really bring value at, at market or recurring revenue, uh, whether that be contract-based revenue or customer retention, kind of low, low customer churn, concentrating on low customer churn, uh, repeat customers or, or contract-based recurring revenue. On the internal side, uh, business owners and companies that have good financial controls really find higher value at market. So whether that be that's just, that goes beyond just uh, the books, there just beyond the the income statement that that's watching your metrics, your operating metrics, and, mm-hmm. and kind of monitoring your business on a day to day basis. And also say uh, having standard operating procedures. So not all the knowledge is in between the ears of the the founder, and so you, you have a, a clear set of operating guidelines that your entire team operates under, and then. I mean, there's a lot of different components of value, but lastly, I'd say uh, a management team that's poised to transition. So as I said, it's not a decision that happens overnight. People don't just wake up and get out of bed and decide to sell their business. And so if you have a management team that's ready for transition, when you go to market, it really shows a lot better with uh, the prospective buyers. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. To absolutely makes sense. I guess, you know, as a, I can imagine any small business owner, as you grow it in your head, you're like, I understand how all this works and I understand the pieces and I understand the relationships. And you're like, this is my IP. Like, why? I don't want to tell and share everybody like how I've done what I do. But if you don't get it out of your head and you don't let other people know, it's not really a business. It's just you. Right. right. That, that secret sauce needs to be written down at one point. And it's funny. And I mean, in, in, in that exercise, I, I've seen business owners really start to to take a step back and, and look at their companies and look at what they're doing when they start kind of detailing the standard operating procedures, they see flaws in what they're doing and they see opportunities for growth when they start really t- looking at their, their operating procedures and their, and their metrics. Just said It builds value at exit, but by operating on a day-to-day basis to build value in your company, you in effect increase um, the, the operating cash flow, the operating income. Sure, sure. I mean, there's two ways to increase cash flow, right? Uh, increase sales or efficiency or in, in, in decrease cost on the other side, right? So, um, and many times I find business owners are focused on top line revenue growth. They're not normally the best on efficiencies from an operational standpoint, right? Right. And I mean, that uh, brings up that, that adage of work smarter, not harder. And so by... Uh, you know, if you have expanded margins, that means for every dollar coming in at the top, you get to take home more. So, yeah. yeah. Agreed with that. Agreed with that. So great feedback. Love that. You know, how we look at operating income in the business. And then we look at how, you know, it's our liquidity income after we potentially sell the business. So 
what are some of the, you know, the obstacles and challenges when you're sitting down with a business owner? Does the conversation of, you know, and this is just intellectual curiosity, does the conversation come of, you know, hey, if I sell my business, will I be able to maintain the same type of lifestyle that I had when I was in the business? Will I be able to have the same type of income? Does that, does those conversations factor into the area of it where you're planning? Uh, almost every single conversation. <laughs> that question. Really? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that that and what am I going to do? And so if you plan for retirement and plan ahead, as I said, the, the whole kind of premise here is plan ahead and, and make these decisions early. And therefore your, your retirement income will look all right. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, if, if uh, a business owner has uh, a salary, that they've been taking home, and then all of a sudden they they sell their business. Yeah, they have a a windfall, if you will. There's a liquidity event through proper planning and working through that with uh, a financial professional. That yeah, they're able to kind of maintain a life, maintain income, and it's just kind of it's a different source. And then, as I said, the other question is, what am I going to do all day? Um, <laughs> and we do see a lot of, uh, a lot of business owners remain on with the company and continue to work there. So therefore, uh, if you're continuing to work at the company, you, you've got, I guess, effectively your cake and eat it too. Sure. You add your liquidity event and then you have your salary, of course, by working for the new owner, um, or financial partner. So, uh, yeah, but planning ahead is is key when looking at kind of a, a post transaction life and post transaction uh, income for sure. Sure. Well, you can only fish and golf so much, right? <laughs> I, I, I've not seen the limit, but yes, that's what they say. I, I haven't I haven't reached the limit there. I know some people that try to push the limit, but but at the same time, so. From somebody staying on and continuing to have a salary, kind of an earnout, are you seeing that happen for reasons that are um, so? Like I can think of reasons off the head top of my head. The owner wants to stay. The transition of the new business wants them to stay to make sure there's some continuity in the transition. Um, they need or want the income from continuing to be able to do what it kind of fulfills their plan, or even capital stack issues, right? Through the transition, like what are some of the primary drivers of that about how somebody would make a decision of if they want to stick and they stay? From your perspective. Yeah, uh, you know, so a, a buyer that wants management to stay on for a certain amount of time, traditionally, there's, a, you know, a minimum amount of time, uh, just for, some, you know, as you pointed out, that with all, all the secrets being in their head, they, they want to make sure that they're uh, understanding the business. But there really brings a lot more value when a business owner wants to stay on. Um, because you're putting your money where your mouth is. You're, you're saying, okay, look, I've, you know, I believe in this business so much that I'm going to stick around and, and uh, maybe retain some uh, of the equity in the company and continue to operate that. And they've just taken some chips off the table. But yeah, it really brings a lot more market, it brings a lot more uh, value at market when management wants to stay on or the seller wants to stay on a little bit um, because, you know, Typically, our buyers are, are private equity groups. They may not have an operator that they want to place in there. And so by looking at a business as, 
as an organization, as an organism, uh, management is, is, is essential and it and is to the, the continued success. So, yeah, it's, it's funny. Also, we see a lot of, uh, a lot of founders, a lot of business owners enjoy their roles more than they did initially or more than they did prior to a transaction. So when they bring on a, a financial partner, they sell a majority of the company. Now they're back to doing the things that they love, the reasons that they founded the business mm-hmm. and they don't have to take care of uh, all the stuff they didn't like. So, you know, more like going to the batting cages instead of running bases. They just said, you know, I, I just like doing this part of it. And so now they've got support, both financial and, and from a management support as well with a, with a buyer. And so, yeah, absolutely. People kind of find that they, they enjoy the role more than they did uh, prior to the transaction. Sure, sure. It makes a lot of sense. You know, I don't think, I think the term CEO and president get thrown around a lot. And I don't think a lot of people really understand maybe some of the definitions that are supposed to be applicable there. Whereas the way I was taught in school was, you know, the CEO is kind of the person that looks externally for strategic vision of where this is going, what we're doing and how we're growing it. And the president is someone who kind of looks internally from an operational standpoint, how are we managing and growing the business? And I think those business owners, you know, early on in their career, were that strategic visionary, like, hey, where do we go? What do we do? Where's the opportunity? And later they transition more into that kind of president. I got to run this thing. I got to make it happen. I got to keep operations flowing. And that's kind of what grinds them down. So being de-risked from that cash out transaction and now retained almost lets them go, hey, like I get to be this thought leader again, kind of of what I'm doing and how I thought this baby would grow. Right. You get away from being head bottle washer and that happens so often that you're you set out to do these things and and to grow this business but you have to keep the machine running and so by bringing on a financial partner or a you know whether that be a full acquisition or a a partial acquisition yeah that she can go back and and as you said be a thought leader and and think about the things that why kind of brings you back to day one you know i started this business to do this well now you can go do that again you don't have to keep the plate spinning. And so really, it's a fun part of our business to see that fire kind of reignited uh, with business owners as they contemplate a transaction. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Because the, the grind wears everybody out, right? <laughs> sure does. <laughs> the grind wears everybody out. So I wanted to double back a little bit. You mentioned some things and I've taken some notes. So you know, when you're going through a transition process or an exit for a business owner, you know, many people in their life have other professional advisors and, and maybe a financial advisor type person, which you mentioned a little bit, but they probably also have attorneys and CPAs that have been involved in their life as they've grown and operated the business. Now, those professional advisors may not have the appropriate skill set for a transition. That may be another set of attorneys and CPAs that potentially get involved. But how coordinated is your process with bringing in the existing advisors that have been in their life, maybe suggesting new ones and making sure that all those people play nicely together in the sandbox, right? Yeah, that's a big component of our uh, of our job. And so we tend to kind of quarterback that newly assembled team. And as you pointed out, that, that those are advisors uh, that have worked with the business owner leading up to a transaction. And that usually is corporate attorneys, uh, CFO, controller, CPA. And then from a legal perspective, we don't have a, uh, a particular law firm that we work with, but we have a short list of, of groups that we recommend. So we bring in legal 
legal counsel to, to handle the, the transaction. And that's specialized attorneys. On CPAs, we absolutely bring in somebody that understands the kind of consequences and, and the impact on uh, a seller's personal financial uh, statements as well as the companies. And so, yeah, we do absolutely bring in specialized groups and we quarterback that that new or I wouldn't say old and new, but kind of <laughs> existing and uh, and potentially temporary advisors. So yeah, we tend to quarterback all those. And that way, uh, when a business owner is, is going through a transaction, they're able to continue to operate their business. They don't have to talk to seven different people every single day. That's what we do. Sure. It helps with some efficiencies. How often do you get friction from the from kind of the team going out, the old incumbents that might have, sometimes I find that those people are in the deal because of the trust and the relationship, not because of the technical expertise or the value that they're bringing to the table. It's just, they've been a trusted advisor to the business owner for so long. He's like, I'm not going through this without these people. Sure. And, and there, there's something to be said for that. They do have, they're kind of built in team and they're, and they're, they're a close team. Um, we don't typically see too much friction, um, especially from the groups that we like to bring in, that we work with pretty often. Uh, we've worked with them in the past. Personalities are so important, uh, sure. you know, and so we, we find people that are, understand there to do a job and not let their egos get hurt and uh, everybody works well together. And when it does, uh, when there is friction, it, it lands on my shoulders, so... <laughs> so that's how I handle it. Understood. Well, let's talk about that. You said that, you know, personalities matter a lot. And on our pre-call, we talked a little bit about, um, you know, cultural fit. You know, how do you evaluate cultural fit? Do you have a diagnostic process for it? Is it a, you've done this and you've talked to certain business owners for a while, you kind of have a really good understanding. Like, are there some red flags when it comes to culture that just pop up and you're like, yeah, we know that's not going to work. Right. So how do you, how do you guys address culture in the transition? Yeah. So we first spend a lot of time talking to clients, you know, getting to know them, getting to know their, their business on a cultural level. Uh, I mean, of course they, they send over the income statement and that's very black and white. So we get an understanding of what that business is like uh, internally and also what the business owner's objectives are. And so what, what do they want to do? Do they want to continue on, grow the business? Do they want to work for a year, transition out? Do they place a lot of value on their employees and are willing to cut value to make sure that their employees all remain intact? So we get to, first, we really get to know the business owner and what their objectives are. And then based on that, we find the right buyer for that because there's I mean, countless number of uh, private equity investors and strategic buyers, and they're not all the same. Uh, not all money is equal, as we say around here. And so, yeah, so we find the right party uh, for the transaction. We do go pretty broad in the market. So we, we make sure to market the opportunity to a lot of different investors. And, and whittle that down to a short list and make sure that we're finding somebody that is a good buyer from, to make sure that we get the, the transaction done uh, sure. to get it across the line. But a buyer that is going to make the long run, especially if there's going to be a, a, a persisting relationship. And so the, the culture of the private equity 
groups or the investor or the buyer is meshes with the culture of the company. There you go. So you bring up an interesting topic because most people, I think, through an exit would say, hey, I, I maybe want to go for the for the biggest price, right? And you're saying all money is not created equal. And I say sometimes, you know, hey, uh, money has strings attached to it sometimes that might not be worth it, right? So give us an example. Maybe you're talking about why more is not necessarily better when you're looking at it through the lens of a cultural fit, because I can imagine almost everybody's like, well, this guy's offered me four, these people offer me four, but your experience tells you why that might not work or the juice might not be worth the squeeze per se, right? That's a really good point. We, this is kind of a, a silly thing for a, a guy like me to brag about, but we rarely take the highest bid. And so if I'm going to a business center, say, yeah, I'm going to help you sell your company. <laughs> By the way, I probably won't take the highest bid. It really seems like a dumb thing to brag about, but I think it points to our firm's ability to find the right buyer. So when we see these kind of outsized bids, that are really an outlier. Usually uh, they don't pass uh, the smell test. So we go, we don't just look at the numbers and say, great. We go and look at the buyer that's, that's writing that, that offer. And okay, do they, do they have, first, do they have the capital? Or are they writing a check and then they're going to go try to find the money on the back end? So do they actually have the capital? Do they have the management horsepower and, and the transactional horsepower to get the deal across the line? Are they actually going to close? You, you see groups sometimes just pitch offers out there. And uh, by the time it gets to close, that offer has been trimmed down by 25%. And that's typically our biggest fear is that we go, that we would go with a party and say, oh, you, you know, you're going to be the, the buyer on the deal. And that, that process takes a while. And so to walk down the aisle and by the time you get down the aisle, they, they've whittled down and said, oh, well, we've kind of retraded and we've found things that we don't like and, and they whittled down the deal or they just don't get the deal done. So we find buyers that get deals done and uh, will we'll stand behind the things that they've written. Sure. Great answer, by the way, because I don't think a lot of business owners understand that sometimes. And that's uh, that's scary, but I, I find it analogous to like, you know, Hey, I've got a car that I want to trade in. You call the dealership. What do I get for this year? This make this model. And they throw a number and you drive it to the lot. And then the guy walks around and he goes, well, I've seen ones that are a little better condition than this. And there's a couple scuffs on it there. By the time you're done, it's so much, they've retraded the whole deal from you, but now you're there and you're stuck and you're, you're probably not going to drive somewhere else. And right. Right. Yeah. And, and it's, it's too late. Yeah. I mean, exactly. You've driven there, you know, title in hand and everything. And, and now it's got too late. And, and that's our, our primary concern in, in finding the right buyers. Make sure we actually get this thing across the line and uh, that there it is a good relationship on the backside of the transaction. Yeah. I don't think all business owners realize that sometimes people will throw out just the highest possible price to number one, attract attention and number two, scare everybody else off of the deal. And then when nobody else is looking at it, they're like, well, nobody wants you now. <laughs> oh yeah. Everybody's gone away. They've gone and bought other companies. And we're the only guy here with money now. Now you got to kind of give in our terms because we're the only one standing here. Right. Very wary of that. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Totally understood. So, you know, in our pre-call, we talked a little bit about 
um, how you guys meet some of the business owners that you get involved with, right, through your process. And I think you mentioned that you guys are part of the, the EO organization. You want to talk a little bit about that? Sure, yeah. It's uh, the Entrepreneurs Organization. And so we're strategic sponsors of our local chapter. And so we spend a lot of time with business owners just and, and really just talking shop. You know, we go in there and uh, we're a resource. So they come in and ask us questions. Like, oh, well, you know, I'm thinking about doing this. What would be the impact? What do you think about this? We're kind of uh, uh, the back office uh, number nerds for, the, for us to calculate. So, okay, this is what I think about it. Um, and it's a fantastic organization. Uh, I don't know how much you know about it, but it, it, we, we've really enjoyed that relationship and very wide variety of business owners, but personalities, business types. And so we spend a lot of time just talking shop with those groups and, and trying to support them the best we can and uh, have enjoyed that relationship a lot. Sure, sure. I'm very familiar with EO. Um, I've actually, I've been a panelist for ACG before for some of the regional events. So I'm, so it's, I think they're, they're close-ish, you know, with business owners aggregating in a spot to, you know, hear, hear people talk about kind of, you know, where we should go, what we should do, what the opportunities and obstacles might be, right? Yeah, I spent a, I, I'm an ACG member. Spent a lot of time uh, with with that group as well. And so, sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a good organization. So, when you're looking for an exit for somebody on our pre call, we talked about the fact that you see a couple of different channels um, potentially for those exits right now in today's marketplace. Right. I think number one, you listen potentially strategics, and number two, you talked about the peg groups. Um, Kind of dive into that a little bit and talk about how you might see one critical path for one business over another and uh, and specifically maybe how frothy the, the private equity market is today and, and what they're where they're coming at, what they're doing, you know? Yeah, sure. I mean, it, it's, uh, it's been kind of a wild ride across the last decade and watching the private equity groups grow, uh, both in number and, and dry powder. So, um, yeah, so when we're talking to business owners and, and as I said, we're Really, we try to understand their objectives and, and what they want, and we go out to market. Um, so we'll, we're going to package up the whole deal and go to market, and we bring that to both strategics, so potential uh, competitors or, or somebody that would make sense uh, as an acquirer, and we also go to private equity groups, and those private equity groups that we that we market the deal to, that could be somebody that's looking to make an investment in that space. Um, if it's uh, business services or maintenance uh, facility maintenance groups, right? So a lot of private equity groups say, okay, we want to we want to make an investment in uh, facilities maintenance groups. So they might have an investment already and they'll see it as a bolt-on, or they might say this would be our first one and we're going to grow it from there. And so we go to both private equity and strategic. The valuations have increased tremendously. Uh, I remember let's say, I don't know, 12, 15 years ago, it was, well, how much is this business worth? And it was always, oh, five times EBITDA. You didn't, you didn't have to think about it. You didn't have to know much about it. That was kind of the magic number. And nowadays, uh, that would be a kind of a paltry sum for, uh, <laughs> for some businesses. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and there's, there's an immense amount of dry powder out there. Um, there are a huge number of private equity groups that are chasing deals. And so it's really, it's, it's driven valuations a lot higher than they once were. And that's been consistent across, you know, the last five years. I kept thinking, 
well, this might be the top. I mean, this is, they got to come down and, and they have been skyrocketed across the last couple of years, but they've, they've been consistent. Uh, We've been very high valuations. It's been a a great time for business owners in the lower middle market to find an exit or, or find a strategic partner there as well. Sure. So clearly it's a great time to be on the sell side, right? It's a great time for an exit. It it is. Are we in a bubble? Well, as I said, I've been saying, well, surely it's got to change. And I've been saying that for a number of years. You know, I think that if we do trim valuations, I I don't think it's going to, it doesn't necessarily have the volatility that the the, the public markets do. So I don't think you're going to see valuations plummet overnight. Uh, yeah, we, we did trim uh, some valuation um, kind of multiples. I still think it would be a, a nice time to sell. I mean, there, right. Because I guess the real question is, is can a buyer grow a business from today? Where it is today with what they're buying at, right? Can they grow it? Can it get bigger and more capital efficient from where it is today? And that's a function of economics, right? <laughs> right. And that's a, the function of uh, the buyer's management team. So, and, and that's kind of what we were talking about before that, okay, if my client is going to roll over some equity and retain some equity there, we find the buyer that's going to be able to execute that growth plan there. And so we spend time talking to the buyer, say, okay, tell me what your uh, track record is in this space. And, you know, what would you do with this business? How would you grow it? And, um, you know, the answer is not necessarily just work harder and sell more. Uh, you know, sometimes people have really well thought out uh, growth plans. And so, yeah, we, we I, I think that there is room for expansion. I, I think that that room for expansion comes at the exit of, of groups that weren't so strong. It's uh, kind of survival of the fittest at times. And that, that will always be the rule of the jungle. Sure, sure. I, there's always somebody with a with a better idea or a new idea. And if they have the ability and the team to be able to execute on that new idea, then, then, Hey, right. But it's uh, ideas are a dime a dozen, you know, it's, it comes down to the execution. Can you make it happen? Right. Exactly. Or, or are you nimble enough to see somebody else's idea and, and react to what the market's doing? Um, and that's right. Nimble management team is key. That's right. I tell people all the time, I'm like, when you think back 100 years and you look at the biggest businesses in the S&P 500, you know, had the most capital, the biggest brand, the best access to talent and everything else. I think it's less than 20 percent of them survive over a 100 year period. It's because they've lost the ability to be nimble and pivot. Right. And, you know, you look at things like Kodak and Polaroid and other instances. So if you if you think it can't happen, to it happens to the biggest businesses. If it can't happen to small businesses, you're kidding yourself. Right. (laughs) Yeah, if you look if you look back twenty years, the roster on the Dow was a substantially different roster than it is today. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of the biggest companies today are just growing through strategic acquisition. It's not organic or internal growth. It's it's roll ups and other opportunities that they see that are accretive. Right, because you kind of when uh, those groups are making acquisitions, they've kind of de-risked uh, investment to a certain component. Sure, totally makes sense. Good stuff. Well, hey, you know, I appreciate what you shared today. And I, you know, Victor, we've covered a lot. Is there any final thoughts, anything you want to close with, anything that I didn't think to ask that's uh, that's relevant to you, your firm, or to somebody that's a, uh, a buyer or seller in this space? Uh, nothing off the top of my head, but, you, you know, uh, we're, we're always here to answer questions. So, I mean, I think that, you know, as I mentioned in the beginning, that if, if business owners are considering selling, 
the it's critical to think of it in advance. And so we're, we're happy to always walk through what that looks like and uh, provide valuation. You know, we, we discuss with uh, business owners, we give kind of our estimate of market value. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's, we don't send invoices after that. And um, so we um, always happy to answer questions and uh, what the market looks like. Sounds good. Well, tell people how to find you. Well, you can reach out. Uh, you know, we're Transitus Capital and transituscapital.com. My name is Victor Blody. My email is right there on the website. Love to answer any questions. Sounds good. Well, Victor, I appreciate you. Thanks for taking the time today and, and the great conversation. And uh, thanks so much for being a guest. We appreciate you. Thanks a lot. Enjoyed being here. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to another episode of Tax Alpha Solutions brought to you by Matt Chancy. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's guests and insight. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts.